Welcome to the Roll Down Podcast, hosted live on Twitch every Tuesday night. Now, here's your hosts, Cutler and Saul! Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Roll Down Podcast. My name is Cutler. I've had a bit of a COVID scare the last couple of days. Uh, things are looking up. I've got some hydrolite with me on one side. And of course, on my other side is my fantastic co-host, Sol. Welcome to the episode. Great to be as always. Oh, guys, I mean, the weeks keep getting, the weeks keep marching on as does time. And the guests keep on getting bigger and bigger. And this time we have an absolutely fantastic guest, a man who you will have seen on broadcasts for team fight tactics over the last couple of years Akron, welcome to the show thank you so much for being here hello thanks for having me on it's great to be here excited to always uh, talk about some tft brilliant now i want to get started with your tft history first when did you get into the game where did the sort of the love affair begin uh yeah sure so uh i played tft since like beta since like, you literally could play tft besides if you were like a dev or something like that i didn't get in that early but um i started playing you know auto chess games with dota auto chess um i loved that it was a great time where i was still trying to find something that i really wanted to you know do something in compete in just love the game and i had a league background so you know bring those two things together tft is kind of the the perfect storm there um competed for a while until you know, I got a little burnt out, but then pivoted to casting. And that's been what I've been doing for the past uh, few sets now of TFT. When it comes to this um, this new this sort of pivot that you made to casting, um, was that something that you've always been interested in from a casting perspective? I mean, we spoke to Doa a few weeks ago, you know, a man with sort of 10 to 15 years worth of experience in the, in the area. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, a legend in in his own right. Was it? Is that like something that you like? Because you, you said you came from League of Legends, so you would have seen sort of early League of Legends tournaments, things like that. Was that really where your sort of interest peaked in in casting? Uh, no, I actually I didn't plan at all to be a caster. Like I played League since like late season one, like early season two, um, and my dream was always to be a competitive player. Um, but I pivoted from League to Heroes of the Storm, um, mm -hmm. competed in that for, for several years until uh, Blizzard kind of, you know, pulled the axe on, on that one. <laughs> so I uh, <laughs> had to pivot to something. But no, I, I, I think um, people had asked me and I you know, started thinking about it at some point, like what I wanted to eventually move on to doing. And I thought about casting like, ah, that's cool, but I don't really think that's where my interests lie. Um, I just actually, I started casting out of, I guess like happenstance like randomly because um when tft first um first started right when it, when it was first um releasing i had a good relationship with the people at giant slayer who like do most of the uh, north american tft stuff right now um for their like weekly tournaments that they were starting up doing called fight night risings and i casted that just kind of for fun because mm. you know i'm gonna do every week casting with you know good friend of mine casanova at the time that's uh, was my co-caster mm -hmm. at the start of that and it was just a lot of fun um i didn't really consider doing it uh seriously though at that point until i i started um i forget what tournament it was but funny you mentioned doa actually uh i casted another tournament it was like some 
I think it was like a charity event or something, but it was actually like with Doa. And Doa had reached out to me after that uh, tournament, after casting that. And it was like, hey, dude, like you did like really good. I think like you're kind of like a natural. It was super like easy to do that with you. And I'm like, oh, this is Doa. <laughs> like yes, you mentioned esports legend, <laughs> yeah. caster extraordinaire, doing it for, you know, 10, 15 years. And it was just like a really like cool compliment uh, for me to hear. And so it kind of got my interest being like, you know what? Maybe I do want to try doing this. Maybe, maybe there's kind of something here. Um, and that's really, I think, where I started seriously uh, considering that. Because that's, I think, around the time where I was getting a little bit burnt out of competing in TFT and was like, okay, what is this next step? Like, what can I land on? Yeah, uh, that's fair. It's really great. I mean, I really, I love to hear the sort of the background and things like that. Um, we've got a lot of questions about, about casting, of course. We wanted to dedicate sort of the early part of our show to talking about sure. casting, as, that, as that's what you do now. Um, I know that you are not just solely a TFT caster. I was wondering if you could sort of expand on sort of some of the other games you cover, like where your interest in those games came from, etc. Yeah, so I have casted, uh, I guess, four games. Maybe I'm missing one, but um, TFT, of course. Uh, Heroes of the Storm, that is the game that I competed in originally since I was playing it since like 2015. Um, and so I have done events for uh, still the same company, like Giant Slayer. They're like, um, I don't know what to call it. They're, they're like main company, like Wisdom. They do like all of the, the Heroes of the Storm competitive stuff that there is right now. And so I've filled in, you know, on those broadcasts sometimes. I've done a couple other Heroes of the Storm tournaments. And that's just because I have a background in it. Like Heroes of the Storm will always kind of have a, a place in my heart because, you know, <laughs> competing there, spending a lot of my, my time there in my, my early esports days. Um, and then there's another game actually called a uh, lesser, lesser known called Eternal Return. Um, it is a game by Korean developers. It's kind of like a, a MOBA plus Battle Royale kind of mix. It's, I mean, I'm really biased, but I think it's a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> I started playing that game, um, competed in some like amateur tournaments, and then eventually started uh, casting that. There's been a couple of tournaments actually also done by wisdom for the production side that i've gotten on and have moved on to a couple other things for that game but yeah that game as well and i did cast uh legends of runeterra once um as kind of like a package deal because twitch rivals was doing a, a tft plus uh runeterra oh i think that was one where i did league valorant tft and legends of runeterra and uh casanova and i casted the legends of runeterra and tft part of it um i don't think i'm really a card game <laughs> caster per se it was a lot of work and prep that i did and i got to the event uh, like you know and was casting it i'm like i still don't really know what i'm talking about <laughs> so it's really difficult card game is really not my thing in terms of casting them uh, i did play a, a decent amount of legends and terra and i had background on like hearthstone and stuff but yeah those are the games that i have mm -hmm. casted as we talk about a lot on this podcast, uh, both um, Sol and I come from competitive card game backgrounds. Um, oh, Sol, okay. of course, from Magic the Gathering and me from Pokemon. And we both, I think 90% um, of the TFT players that you meet, you'll ask them how, what they did before um, TFT. And they're, oh, I've played Hearthstone. Yeah, yeah, I played a lot of Hearthstone. Oh, I, like, maybe cool. I played League of Legends <laughs> in like season three and four or something. Um, so yeah. yeah, that sort of Hearthstone background is quite strong, at very least in the OC community here. I know I've actually known quite a few of the OC pro players from their Hearthstone days and things like that. 
as well. Oh, cool. um, I was wondering um, from your perspective, and this is something that we had discussed a lot on this podcast too, uh, and that is sort of how you feel about TFT as like a spectator esport. How do you feel about it? How do you feel about casting it and, and how you feel that translates into sort of the, the enjoyment of, of TFT competitive gaming? Yeah, I think TFT as a spectator sport, uh, spectator esport is hard. I think a lot of the enjoyment that comes out of it is people rooting for players, right? Having a streamer that they like to watch, someone that they like to to cheer for, because it's kind of hard usually to have inherent like hype in in TFT. A lot of the game, I, I think I've actually, I don't know if I'm like married to this like comparison, but. I've, uh, in personal discussions with other people, like, made a comparison of TFT to, like, a Battle Royale, which it's like, yeah, in the early parts of it, you just, you know, you're, like, looting, or, like, you're building your board, right? There's, like, there's some interesting things that can happen there, but it's not going to be inherently exciting um, most of the time. But what can get really hype is, like, the late game fights being really close, like, as a commentator, um, you can, like, really sell those fights, kind of almost, like, play-by-play -play commentate them, right? Like, almost as if it were, like, an actual, like, league game. Um, that's where most of the excitement comes out of, and that's where I think it can be the most engaging to a, to an audience. But also, I think just the storylines and narratives of players, I think that's a really big one for TFT casters to really hone in on. Every single event, it'll be like, oh, these, like, the players to to watch, and if you get to, like, a final day, um, like what some of the final games. I think there was the recent Challenger Series uh, tournament in North America. It was like the final day of it, final game, and I'm forgetting the player. I think it was Ripple, Ripple Overdrive uh, versus like Soju, um, where they competing for like the second place spot, and Ripple was like playing like five Mercs in the final game. And it's like, oh, like okay, this is super hype. Like Soju went out early. If Ripple can cash out, go first. Like this would be absolutely crazy and nuts. And it's those situations are kind of few and far between, but um, I think that is like peak TFT in terms of uh, you know spectators. Yeah, agreed. Totally agreed. Um, Sol, I think you always bring up a good point when we talk about TFT right now, and we sort of liken it to the sort of early Hearthstone days, if you're sort of familiar uh, with that, where mm -hmm. the streamers kind of ran ran the not run the competitive scene but they would they would demand a significant portion of the viewership and and tournaments would go up the more that their fame their favorite streamers would would participate in events yeah i mean yeah <laughs> like so like k3 soju being in regionals alone is like twenty thousand. it's like plus twenty thousand viewers right yeah. so um i think a lot of yeah i think like a big part of getting just TFT tourneys to be exciting to watch is to have these sort of players that, you know, have these sort of, as you mentioned, sort of these like storylines coming into the event, right? And I think that like mixing that with up and coming players who are like a little bit lesser known um, is most, is, is what I feel like is probably the right direction, the right formula to sort of, yeah, getting the viewer base up. Yeah. It's a good one. It's really a good one. I was wondering from your perspective as someone that casts TFT events, what is it, what do you want to see out of TFT events going forward? Uh, I want to see it out of TFT events moving forward. I think uh, there is opportunity to do like a lot of, I don't, I don't even know if this would be a good thing to do, but something that's in my mind is, um, 
like uh, there's a good opportunity to do like analysis segments on specific players and like to really deep dive in depth um about say like a player's like recent trends and tournaments say uh, gangly is a person i'll bring up because i think gangly does fantastic content when it comes to breaking down like why this person like why this player is someone who you should like be looking out for in tournaments and stuff and like what their averages are but even going further into depth about that and looking at like their uh gameplay analysis and it wouldn't be like the most engaging for like the average i think like tft viewer unless they were specifically interested in like that person um but i think there's an opportunity there it, it's kind of it's kind of hard because i i think as I continue to talk about this, continue to think about just like TFT and it being a, a you know game that hopefully will will get more viewers, will get more spectators. I think that's really like limited opportunity for that, and almost in a way, it'll never be like a super super hype game. Like it's never gonna like, uh, in my opinion, I hopefully I'm wrong. I could be wrong. Like we're never gonna like super super like pop off and draw like a huge huge crowd and like huge attraction. Um, but I think what can be done is the resources and effort put into it to try to just make it like as engaging and interesting of a broadcast like as possible. So like doing more content featured around like the, these players, like making the players the main focal point and really doing as much as you can to highlight that and, you know, kind of sell the players as like, you know, the, the superstars as like the people who you really want to be excited um, about watching and following um, to the to the audience. Hmm. I love that. I really like um, the, I one of the, I, I, you spoke about League of Legends. I'll speak from my own experience as someone that watched competitive League of Legends for such a long time. Some of the most interesting sort of content around the casting and an analytical segments of League of Legends is always when they sort of deep dove into champion matchups. I always found mm -hmm. that really fascinating um, for League of Legends, especially because, you know, you didn't have to be a great player, or a, you know, a high elo player in League of Legends to appreciate, like, how a champion faced off against one another in League of Legends and, and why that was so interesting. I think a very similar thing being applicable to TFT would be fascinating. And maybe that's just because, you know, we sort of play the game a lot because we're sort of, <laughs> yeah. you know we've been challenger players but i mean that idea sounds great to me and it'd be really interesting to kind of put that out to sort of a, a broader community-based question you know so, um mm. sol i was i was wondering if you had any uh, any thoughts on, on that sort of tft mm -hmm. um sort of post-game analysis style content or anything yeah um, I think it has like potential. It's like pretty interesting, right? Like it reminds me almost of um, like we'll keep using the example of like league. Um, when a lot of the analysts would like break down a really big like, for example, like a really big team fight that just happened, explaining you know to the sort of viewers what exactly they just watched, why players did what they did, or you know explaining sort of more complicated sort of you know macro strategy ideas like you know why did you know this team rotate there why did they you know move there right so i feel like that applied to like a tft context could be very very interesting um you know you could be like looking at like you know looking at somebody's you know like roll down you know like it's it's like a clean you know 30 40 seconds or so of gameplay and analyze you know why did they sell the units they sold why did they hold the units they hold you know what were they looking to actually do uh, i think a lot of like these um, a lot of like the sort of smaller details and minutiae can get lost in just 
like watching the moment it, it happens really really quickly um and, and yeah it's i think i think it's like for viewers it could be like very i guess easy to miss and not really understand why the players are doing what they're doing and i think to an, uh, a bigger extent like the that can be applied to sort of like thinking about like positioning you know you can be like okay this like if we break it if we actually break it down this player knows that they have this 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 play in their rotations that means that they should be trying to play around this 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 is this right like but like things like that like if you don't really have someone to break it down have someone to explain it as a viewer, you're just watching a guy randomly move things across hexes. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, really, really interesting. Um, Cron, I want to ask you a little bit about TFT itself. You know, this is the first time we're getting a chance to speak to you, so it'd be lovely to hear your thoughts on sort of set 6, set 6.5, how you feel the where the kind of game is at the moment, things like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think set 6... Um by you know large uh, perception is is a really big success um set six has drawn a lot of people uh back into tft and a lot of people just re-excited really excited really about tft again even a lot of competitive players right came into set six and was like oh yeah set six i'm gonna, I'm gonna like really start trying again set five you know <laughs> everyone was burnt out it's kind of yeah. a little bit of the same storyline every set it's like oh yeah next set waiting room <laughs> right but set six actually like i think really really delivered on uh, a lot of aspects, I think that augments, you know, they, they have their flaws, um, right, as anything does, and it's a huge, huge, huge task to try to balance everything and, and make it, you know, uh, as good as possible, but I really do think augments are, are a big success. Um, I think that, at least from my perspective, in casting uh, TFT in set 6, talking about the potential storylines like there, there, there's so much there's not there's going to be like you know way too much that you can ever like you know talk about from what a player can you know try to plan for what their options are try to delve into that but it creates just a lot of cool situations that are really really exciting really rewarding and, and kind of new and, and fresh ways to approach it right like you've uh, there's been players talking about the fact that um in tournament they run into a situation that they've literally like never run into before because of augments and they have to literally just like adapt you know on the fly and maybe you know they've grinded a lot of ladder games so they have like been in that situation maybe like one time before and they know how to like play that route but oftentimes like we won't see that because players will just maybe go the the standard option like pick the the safe you know augment choices but it's really when you get those um those more niche ones the, those very specific scenario ones that you can really kind of tell you know who who's done their homework right you know who's really put in that 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 time and who just has just such an advanced understanding of tft right now so i, I think it's really exciting and, and really really cool and even just as a casual player i think it's it's cool as well because they're like oh how is this going to go i pick an augment it gives me my direction that's great i don't really have to like you know think that much anymore it's kind of why i think casual players like liked uh chosen mechanic you know is set for because it's like okay i found the chosen unit that's my comp boom great like done uh augments can do a similar thing that it, not necessarily in the same way but uh, i think similar concepts apply so set six i like it set 6.5 as well uh i i think i like it there's uh, you know a couple of uh, uh there's a couple things like balancing issues and stuff but that you know again it's always gonna be the case i'm not gonna hold that over you know anyone's <laughs> head right like uh, game development is hard right appreciate your game developers <laughs> that's, that's all for sure yeah, uh, we've we've got the uh, recently announced micro patch that we will discuss later when it comes to balancing. I think that there's some interesting stuff in there. Um, and from Mort's uh, Twitter account. So if you guys weren't aware who are listening to this, um, maybe on the audio version or, or 
live right now, there is a micro patch coming out and we will be talking about it in a little while. I was wondering sort of some of your favorite, ignoring the, the balance changes, balance issues. Um, are you, are you, are you someone that generally gets excited when they bring units back from previous sets uh, as someone who's basically played the since the beginning of TFT, you know, is seeing things like Aurelia return, Draven return for, um, I think the fourth set now that Draven's been in, I think. Set yeah, third one, or fourth. two, fourth. five, yes. and six. Fourth. Yeah, there I don't you know. Go. God, memory's hard. <laughs> um, but so that, those kind of, uh, those kind of units, um, and that kind of thing, how do you feel about sort of the, the, the units that we've got in 6.5? uh yeah i think i mean draven is, is a good example i think everyone knows loves uh draven only going back from you know set one right it's like that consistent that four cost carry i think it's in four cost carry yeah, four cost, every yeah. time yeah he's in four and same ability every time yeah yeah four and same ability yeah so it's just that you know you know if you love him it's that same consistent all reliable <laughs> right is, is draven but there's also you know like ari returning and she doesn't have her spirit bomb this time um and arguably you know ability is uh i don't know hard to balance could be weak probably considered to be pretty weak right now but it's, it's still cool I, I do like seeing uh units return and the balance of units that do the same thing and also ones that do a new thing right because it adds a new uh, element that you have to you know figure out how exactly do they fit in the big picture of this set or, or this meta um and but not like having every single unit always do something different uh, i think they have achieved a really a good balance of that yeah I think I think I, I definitely agree with you on that one. There's some uh, kinks to be worked out, but as Mort said, there's still two months left of this set, which feels like a long time. But it is only yeah. eight eight weeks yeah. left of this set, and we got some big stuff coming up, of course. Uh, and that in what three days' time is the regional NA regionals? Yep, that's a big one. Which <laughs> segue is going to be our next topic, our major topic of the episode: regionals. It is fast approaching. I want to make this light. I don't want to delve deep into every single player going in. I just want sort of very first question. I'm going to ask you, Sol, my co-host. Um, who's your favorite for NA Regionals? My favorite? Uh, Not your favorite think... person, your favorite player to win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, <laughs> my, my like, player to, to win it, probably Nubal. I think he's been pretty freaking insane lately. I literally, like, yeah, popped off pretty hard at NA Regionals. Um, and yeah, I, I think he's playing really, really consistent, really, really well. So I think, uh, yeah, that's my pick. Kron, same question to you. I, I'd love to hear sort of your thoughts as, as someone, you know, very wrapped up in the, in the, uh, in the sort of the NATFT world who your sort of feelings are heading towards. Yeah. So, I mean, I had a few new bell is one of my, my top four, um, I think I'm actually going to land on uh, Setsuko. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll say Setsuko. I think that had a really, really insane set on, you know, just having ladder dominance, having not only ladder dominance, but tournament success as well, right? I think it's really important because ladder is a different beast than tournament. And, you know, you mm -hmm. can't you know, ladder warrior your way into qualifying for Worlds. <laughs> um, but Setsuko kind of does it all, and especially as I think it's been on, on, on the up and up now. Um, I'll say Setsuko. And uh, since he was on the episode last week, uh, I'm contractually obligated to say Socks. <laughs> um, he actually, uh, based on everything that yeah, he spoke about last week and how he was sort of really excited for the upcoming 
event and everything he's been putting out recently i think he's actually in quite a good uh, quite a good spot to to go far in the tournament in whatever way it's going to be incredibly what? exciting sorry david you go I was going to say, it definitely be sucks uh, if he didn't leak the Civitech. Yeah. <laughs> now everyone knows. Now everyone knows. Now everyone knows. <laughs> he did talk on this podcast very vehemently about only playing one thing during a regionals, specifically every time. I'm not sure why he decided to leak it. All yeah. right. <laughs> Mysteries. The meta right now is, well, about to change, maybe. Uh, and that is, yep. I think, where this is probably before we get onto the meta itself. I want to talk about these changes. Um, so the first things first. I'm going to start with the the problematic champion of set six point five, if we can call it that, and that is Aurelia. Uh, Aurelia is, <laughs> in all technicality, getting a buff. Uh, her bug that mana locked her, which I'm sure that. Most people who have played Aurelia have experienced at some stage uh, is um, being fixed. So she will no longer mana lock herself if she gets stunned during one of her casts. Yeah. Uh, very interesting mm -hmm. change, a change that probably has more context behind it than just sort of talking about Aurelia. So I will also bring up the fact that they're fixing Socialite. Uh, Socialite 2 and Socialite 3 actually give damage bonus damage that is not meant to exist currently yeah uh, in the game um so aurelia instead of just doing a flat percentage of damage is actually doing um significantly more at two and three socialite uh, i'd love to hear what you guys uh well i'll start with you crown what you actually think about the aurelia and socialite changes to begin with and how you think that might affect the the meta coming up yeah so uh, Aurelia obviously uh, has been really insane, very dominant in this meta. And uh, a large reason why, um, as we know now, is because of the Socialite um, <laughs> bugs. And it's why mm -hmm. you can say, like, have Irelia won, have her full items, and have her just white boards, right? She was way too stable um, with these Socialites. So uh, yeah, with the Irelia no longer getting, you know, uh, mana locked, that's going to be great. Uh, overall, though, with the Socialite, uh, bug fixes it is going to make Irelia uh, a lot weaker. Um, it's going to be a lot harder to stabilize with with Irelia boards. So you're going to need to, you know, either have more econ going into like a big pivot or um, just not be as stable. Have some more HP that you sacrifice when you're trying to, you know, get your like game Irelia board online. It's it's going to make uh, Irelia just way less consistent overall. Is just kind of plainly how to how to say that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so your your thoughts overall on, on the Aurelia slash Socialite changes? Yeah. I mean, she's definitely one of those champions that has, like, that sort of threshold, right? Where, like, if she sort of crushes that threshold, she's, like, way too good. And if she's, you know, around that threshold, she's in line because um, she's a reset-based champion. So, you know, the differences uh, in, you know, being able to reset and not being able to reset is sort of night and day in terms of damage output. So when, you know, you have bugs like the Socialite buff, this such a bug right now that we're talking about you know that's the sort of stuff that can you know really really push a champion like Irelia out of um over that sort of over that threshold and sort of get a really really out of line right um so yeah i think um i think i think the bug fix is definitely good i think it definitely is needed um and i think that even though like you know it's literally right before the regional was like i feel like i mean this is probably going to be the bigger point of topic later but i feel like a bug definitely needs to be you know fixed right like if it doesn't say it does this in the game 
yeah agreed on that one i also want to i also want to say as well that the socialite changes nerf a lot of stuff that's really good not just aurelia like um twin shot socialites uh will be getting a pretty significant well not significant but it basically halving the bonus damage output that you're supposed to get um so gangplank will be a little bit weaker i think coming into the event it's still a good unit mind you but i do i do think that changing two and three socialite is very uh nerfs a lot of the stuff that i think people have a little bit of a problem with right now most importantly being sort of twin shots and aurelia not sort of counting uh, mutants or any other comps that are really good right now uh definitely makes it less splashable in everything for right now uh, i guess one of the benefits of not knowing that this already existed is probably that it's not going to change your playstyle too much when you are going to play socialites uh that's mm-hmm. uh that's another big one i'd love to um to talk about the true justice enforcer augment because this one <laughs> this one i didn't know i didn't know this was a problem until about two days ago when a caitlin three just destroyed my entire board and i was sitting there i was sitting there after the game and i was thinking to myself what what just happened like why why did i lose like why did i lose this fight i really thought i like had it was a shoe in to win um Crown, I was, your thoughts on, on sort of the true justice benefit of, of sort of giant slayer amplification of the enforcer augment yeah i mean it was it, it was really insane uh you know playing and, and seeing boards that are just like oh true justice i'm picking it it's just like that's that's kind of <laughs> feels yeah. bad. Yeah, Jace one, you get four enforcers online. It just wipes boards, and, you know, with one giant slayer on them. It's just yeah, it's too much. A much needed fix, and I'm glad that. I mean, the, uh, that's a bug though. Unlike the socialite, that was like if people really wanted to bug abuse and they saw it, like sure they would. But most people trying to get like good practice and like you know like practicing for regionals and houses, like they're not picking true justice. They're already avoiding that. Um, so it's probably not going to have too much of an impact on on things in general. Um, it's just, yeah, a, a good fix. Glad they 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 catch it and yeah. stuff. So at least God. people won't be you know stealing your LP on ladder if they <laughs> run into that. So, yeah, yeah, interesting. Sort of small ladder change more than anything really, because I don't, I think the chances of even seeing like three. <laughs> four enforcer true justice games during the entirety of regionals was probably pretty low you know yeah. like just based on the percentages um the next one i want to talk about uh, and i'll start with you soul on this one is uh yep. sort of a bug fix buff to corky uh where his ability no longer fizzles if his cast target dies during the animation um there yep. corky is not the only unit that suffers from something similar to this i know that um Mm-hmm. A lot of people have already mentioned uh, another Yorda, which is Nah, that suffers from a similar. Is problem. Nah still bugged then? Yeah, yeah, that's what I really, really so, want to um, know. Oh, talked about it yeah. in his um, tweets that he's they've already got the Nah one sorted for twelve point six, but because it's a significantly harder change to make based on the coding of the game, they will um, they will right, later right. instead of now. Whereas Corky's is apparently much easier to to micro fix. Mm-hmm um yeah. yeah your your thoughts on a on a sort of a small corky buff 
I think it'll be good. I mean, I think Corky's in a pretty decent spot, actually. Um, he's actually not bad as a as a carry. Um, especially if you, especially if you three star him with like pretty good items early. So, uh, yeah, I, I think like this won't like you know have like massive uh, you know earth shaking effects or anything on the meta. But um, I mean, it's a, it's a nice little buff for a champion that was already in a pretty good spot. I think. Uh, agreed with you there on on that one. Uh, the final the final change. Um, VIP Draven no longer keeps his VIP bonuses after Debonair is deactivated. Uh, Crone, I didn't know that this was a bug or a problem. <laughs> um, uh, sort of, how do you feel about Dra like Draven in the meta right now? Uh, how do you feel about Draven? I don't think Draven is the best in the meta, but if you happen to you know land a, a VIP Draven, you know he can still. He can he can do some solid work. He can carry you to usually not a a first. Maybe if you get like a super crack board, you know, get like a, a Zarya with items later on in the game as as well. Um, it can really do you some good. But Draven's kind of that mid tier. Like okay, if you happen to roll into VIP Draven, sure, it's a great pivot. If you're looking for solid, you know, a bunch of different options on, um, you know, your level seven or eight roll down, right? It's gonna be an, a viable one. Uh, I didn't actually know this was a thing either, but I don't really think it's gonna be that impactful because generally if you're playing vip draven you're gonna be playing three debonair right you can tech those in that's easy enough right you have your uh leona you know zeri syndra whatever syndra uh pretty pretty solid so yeah you, you can fit three debonair and usually keep those in so not not too big of a deal there i don't think hmm. agreed i'd love to sort of speculate with you guys now if we can and you know the the this of course um, nobody is allowed to clip if we are wrong. However, if we are right, you're more than welcome <laughs> to clip this and come back to it. What I want to discuss with you guys is where you think this takes us going forward. There's a couple of, well, there's an Aurelia buff, but an overall, I would say, Aurelia sort of balancing out of her overall power, as Sol mentioned. I'd love to know, uh, you know, a Draven change. Um, this leaves four costs in an interesting spot where they aren't as powerful they aren't as powerful tomorrow as they are today for example so i'm wondering if you guys think that this uh, benefits any comps any champions any units i'll throw one out there i think maybe this is relatively beneficial to something like jin uh, as an ad option hmm. um soul any any thoughts any any interest uh, maybe beneficial to Kazix as well so socialite Kazix. Oh, I I think it's not that great for Kha'Zix because Kha'Zix really needed socialite. <laughs> um, I think that like yeah, I think so. I think that the champions that were reliant on socialite um get a fair amount worse because I mean this this is like what is this? It's like a fifteen percent damage. I mean, it's a ten percent damage decrease. Um, so it is definitely meaningful to an extent. Um, I think that funnily enough, Irelia boards don't actually get that much worse. I think. Uh, I think the solo Irelia boards get worse. Like, the solo Irelia boards that are, like, are all in Irelia, playing, like, three, sometimes even five socialite, get, obviously, significantly worse. But, like, the standard, like, four-striker board that, like, duo carries Irelia and Sivir are, like, I think they're in a totally fine spot. This is going to be really good. Um, I think that, like... Uh, I think that Draven was always in a fine spot. He's always been in this sort of... Um, if you don't hit VIP Draven, you're probably playing for top four. If you hit VIP, you can, you can play for top two, kind of thing. Um, so I think Draven's, like, fine. Uh, I think, like, overall, to avoid me having to, like, you know, to avoid me saying every forecast is fine, I think that, like, the sandbox is in, like, a decent spot where, like, you can do well with most of the forecasts right now. Yeah. Um, Crow, and your, your sort of thoughts similar? 
Yeah, I'm going to have a very cold take. I pretty much agree with, with all of that. It does give uh, opportunity for some of the lesser played forecasts right now. Like uh, you mentioned Jin, I'll throw, you know, I'll throw Ari in there as well. I think maybe can have a little bit of a better time in the meta um, because there is going to be less just like, oh, I will always go Irelia in this position. Sometimes you'll think about it like, oh, is really actually my best option here? Um, you know, things like that. Maybe if you, you know, hit a Kha'Zix, uh, well, Kha'Zix did, did get hit, right, by the, the uh, socialite changes, but if you hit another unit, right, you might be more willing to play that um, from a position than, say, the Irelia. So, yeah, I don't know. It opens up other options for less good forecasts, but all in all, I don't really think it changes too, too much um, because I think if you're looking at Irelia board, then you will just go to that kind of dual, you know, Irelia Sivir uh, kind of play style. It's not that much of, of a leap to just play that instead and still have it, you know, perform fine. So, yeah. 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 Um, uh, that's really, I mean, all I really wanted to, to do there was, of course, discuss the meta. I think we've got a pretty good look in on that kind of thing. I will ask about uh, sort of a couple of re-roll, re oh, it's hard to say, uh, re-roll <laughs> comps that are very prevalent in the meta as well. We've sort of avoided talking about it until now, mostly because um, there's no nerfs that really target them. But I'll start with you, Sol. I, uh, I wanted to ask you about Warwick reroll, uh, something that's sort of been terrorizing, uh, I don't know, every, everything recently. Uh, it's, mm. got a, it's got a yeah. high play rate, a high, you know, a high win rate, a high top four rate. Uh, it's a two-cost reroll comp, chemtex, mm. you know, Need, needs a nerf in 12.6? Uh, probably, needs, probably needs like a slight nerf in 12.6. Um, I think always always been one of those weird ones where when it's been good, and we are in a patch where currently it is good, um, it still does need to sort of hit those, uh, have those best insult items, because Warwick does feel like a champion where he he's not very good until he hits that critical mass, but once he hits that sort of critical mass of like just stuff, he just becomes unstoppable, and you can just never kill him. Um, so yeah, I, I think like just a, 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 a little like slight nerf to sort of get it so that he takes it a little bit longer to hit that critical mass would be good. He just comes on, just basically like like slow down the time it takes for him to come online. Because um, right now, yeah, he's coming online a little bit too quickly. Um, really, all you really need right now on Warwick is probably like a Titans and maybe like half a, like half a QSS or Rage Blade component, and you're good to go in the other game. I think we really want to get it to I think they really want to get it to the point where like okay you sort of need two items on like two of the good items on him before he really starts you know just terrorizing teams so yeah agreed agreed crone your thoughts on on sort of i guess um i guess something i'll i'll ask you that's a little bit uh left of that is um how do you feel when you're casting uh events with players re-rolling and and things like that do you you know I actually find that in an event, like watching somebody sort of the, the teeter totter between like trying desperately to get their three costs online versus getting destroyed by everyone who knows how to make a really good board in like a big event is really fascinating. Um, do you find that like enjoyable to cast and, and watch as a, as a caster? Um, so, so, so the question is, uh, if people are, are just, are re-rolling or? Yeah, yeah, like sort of, how do you feel about okay. sort of re-rolling in, in tournaments and things like that? 
I think if everyone's re-rolling, it's a little uh, resident sleeper. But I think if there's like a, a healthy mix, then yeah, it's it, it's great, right? Because it should be rewarding the positions where if people aren't just like forcing every game. Um, you should be rewarded for that, right? There is a, a, a you know amount of uh, skill recognition to say like, oh, what's my spot here? Can I get away with it, right? What are my augments? Can they lead me in that direction? Not just oh, Warwick is too strong right now. I see Warwick. I see okay augments. I have okay items, I just slam it, right? I think in my mind, uh, say giving the Warwick as an example, should be a unit that, yeah, if you get like a Warwick 2 early game, you know, great, should stabilize you. Then it'll fall off and you'll hit Warwick 3, you'll spike for a bit, and then it'll fall off again. And you maybe, you know, get that like fourth or third. But if you have a really high roll game, sure, maybe you can get a first, right? But it shouldn't quite be quite as uh, consistent as it is, you know, right now. So I think kind of similar to, to what Sol said, yeah, probably could do with a little bit of, a uh, little bit of nerfs, right? Get it. Uh, into line um yeah a little bit into line there but yeah I, I think actually one of the big standout events that i cast recently was the mid-set finale um and that's mm -hmm. where uh Kivix, um i believe won that event and Kivix is a player who uh, i believe is, yeah, is going to be participating in, in the regionals picked whatever unit whatever two or three costs they hit and just re-rolled it like it was actually mm -hmm. so insane they just did whatever they rolled like Zach plus like I don't even know what other three cost it was at that point. I'm just like we rolled like just pick pick any three costs or two costs out of a hat, <laughs> just re-rolled them right, and they they won the tournament with it. It was absolutely insane it was just to take that specific of a playstyle because no one else was doing it at the time. I think there's maybe like one or two reroll comps right that people would would go for, but Kivix just took kind of took that to another level, and that is super hype and super interesting to watch, especially when it has. Uh, success because if you look at that, you're just like, oh, this player's player is just picking a reroll, picking a unit, rerolling it. That shouldn't be good, right? On paper, right? Like, there's <laughs> there's reasons why reroll comps are good and they excel, right? Because they've been, you know, kind of finely tuned. You get all the pieces. They they've been, you know, dissected, right? Look at Warwick. You know, every single specific unit you want, every specific point. But Kivix was just breaking those 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 barriers and just kind of doing whatever. And it's it was just crazy. Hmm. Yeah, this <laughs> is. I love that. That's great. Uh, the last one I want to touch on uh, in the in our reroll section is, of course, uh, Twitch. It's been getting a lot of nerfs, previous patches. Uh, still in an okay spot, I think. Still, at the very least, uh, a represented comp that we might see in the meta. So your thoughts on sort of where Twitch is right now? Obviously, the socialite change doesn't really affect Twitch too hmm. much. Um, you do only really yeah. ever play one socialite in Twitch, to be honest. Hmm. Um, It's... Yeah, I think I think it's like getting close to being in a good spot. Um, it feels like the like, man, Twitch is like a weird comp. It, it feels like it's been like the most consistent and robust reroll comp in like this entire set. Because I feel like even up until now, after like so many like innovative nerfs, so many like other random nerfs, I feel like the comp's still pretty good. At least like in my ladder games, I still like run into it like all the time. Like there's plenty of people playing. Mm. It. Uh, do I think that the comp is like forcible? Uh, I mean, I think you can, but I don't think it's very good if you force it. But I think, like, you know, if you natural a lot of Twitches early, like, yeah, it's it's a pretty good comp to go into. It's also, like, very easy to play, very, like, straightforward, very easy to, like, not get dizzy with. So I think the comp's in a good spot, and um, I think it's it's one of the reroll comps that stands out to me. Yeah. Um, Crowan, I want to talk about caster POV, preparing for an event getting ready mm -hmm. for an event on the scale of something like a regional championship. You know, as uh, a lot of people say, the second most important event of the year. 
Um, yep. I was wondering, like, from your perspective, I, I would love it if you would talk through, you know, the I've got the call up, I'm going to be casting an event. What do I need to know? How do I go about preparing? I'd love to, I'd love to hear your process on, on this kind of thing. Yeah, sure. Um, so in for for me personally, it's probably going to vary a little bit from you know caster to caster. But me personally, I really think that regionals, uh, for you know, eventually regionals for DFT is a time to really understand and sell the players. So you know, going and looking at okay, how has this player performed basically in every single tournament that they've had? You know, this set, maybe even sets prior. Right, what's their storyline coming from? You know previous sets into this one have they fallen off a little bit have they done better um so yeah taking a look at everything around that player um what they're playing in the meta right now um even like going as far as to be like oh what's their preferred like starting item right what's that going to lean them into just knowing everything that you can to have the context about being able to predict what that player is going to do in the game um uh, i think that's probably the the major one also just you know just Generally knowing the meta trends, right? Just jamming games, just looking at, at ladder, what are what's performing well, um, what are some maybe uh some niche things that aren't really that popular, but also maybe could could show up, right? You want to be ready to talk about um these uh, kind of I don't know, like underground comps, right, and, and things like that, but also just have us in-depth understanding of the ones that are going to be good and popular to be able to make, you know these predictions of okay we're probably going to see x y and z i would really like it if we do see you know uh, x y and z and then making predictions of like knowing the meta enough to make predictions of or knowing the players enough to make predictions of how is the meta how is this tournament going to shift just day to day of that tournament because um, i think that's always one that I personally really, really like looking at and it's really hard to speculate um i think beforehand but you know, you can make educated guesses of like, oh, how has a player um, approached a previous tournament? Have they made really massive, you know, changes going from, you know, day one to two in their in their play style? Or have they kind of seen something that happened day one and like, oh, you know, it clicked. I'm going to, you know, do this as, you know, some, some people will do. So, yeah, all in all, to summarize, a lot of player focus, understanding what they're going to be doing, understanding their tournament history even like ladder history as well recently i think is you know not irrelevant uh, as well so hmm. but then just the meta as well in a general sense love to um to hear that's great i love i love that i love the focus on the players that tft has when we spoke to doa we sort of talked about what it was like to to cast a game where you're kind of trying to get into the mind of players like because you really you sort of are playing a lot of you're predicting your ed you're using the education that you've given yourself to to sort of guess how these players are going to perform and then talk about why they're feeling a certain way or why they did a certain thing um i find it such a fascinating game to watch from that perspective i was wondering from your opinion and, and we've talked a lot about this in the past um we had a tycoon on the show who is the sort of one of the the tournament organizer for the oc tft esports events basically um and mm -hmm. we asked him a question that i really want to ask you as well and that is how do you get people to watch official tft streams it's a uh, hard like question main yeah, yeah the main broadcast of yeah, TFT the events. Main it, like 
giving content that oh sorry no, sorry, no, that's okay. no, you, no, you, okay you go. <laughs> i got all excited <laughs> I, was, I was gonna say uh giving content that you cannot find on a specific player stream because if you're watching the majority of, of a tft broadcast um you're going to see everything that you could by just watching whatever player pov that you wanted to right there's nothing different there only thing that you're getting is the commentary over that which you know for some is really nice and, and they want that but for the most part people honestly really don't care about caster pov i would say the the typical tft viewer they just care more about hearing what the streamer thinks like what a player is doing in that position and things like that and that puts a lot of burden on like oh like how can tft casters like you know make it a more interesting experience like for the viewers and things like that but i actually think it, it ties into an earlier uh concept that we talked about and i wanted to bring back up about like you know like what is the what are the opportunities for this and i think um i'm gonna reiterate you know giving content that you can't find other players streams so like a a pre-show or like a post-show like a analysis even like in between like you know break segments um which is probably hard maybe can't get away with like in between show things because players just want to you know go from game to game to game um but say i think Sol mentioned earlier like breakdown analysis of like you know how what is this player doing in like this this game situation so like taking previous tournaments doing like highlight packages like oh you know players to to watch you know up and coming players just uh giving a lot of uh i i guess just like speculation and, and hype i think i actually i don't i didn't watch it personally but i, I heard there was some sort of like um like fantasy kind of like draft thing at the start of a recent mm -hmm. thing i think it's like the challenger series Ooh, um yeah. so just yeah fun engaging content getting people giving people more opportunities to just think about the game and think about the players differently than they already have um, because everyone's just used to yeah i show up i'm going to click on the stream because i get the same content there as i would on the main broadcast minus the commentary hmm. yeah i think I, I remember, and I may remember this wrong, a long time ago when League of Legends was first becoming a big eSport, they used to give away stuff on the main broadcasts all the time. And it wasn't huge back then. It wasn't like a mm -hmm. massive, massive eSport. This is sort of season one, season two. It was kind of coming out of its infancy and sort of growing up a little bit. There was full-time League of Legends teams, etc. Um one of the big things that they did was they gave away T uh, league of legends skins on broadcast oh, yeah, I remember. <laughs> all the time literally yeah. every event you would go to there'd be like an opportunity to get like a code and things like that um which sort of remind that when i heard about the tft fantasy thing because you can win eggs little legend eggs from doing it yeah mm. I, that's such a great way to get people involved and get people interested because I love Little Legends, man. I don't know. <laughs> like, I love collecting Little Legends. Like, I'll play, I'll play, like, I mean, I play, like, fantasy sports in my, like, spare time anyway. Like, I'll play fantasy TFT. Hell yeah, that sounds great, you know? That's, um, so I think the, the engagement mixed with incentives is a really interesting way, interesting way to go about it. Yeah. I think so as well. I think incentive is, is a big one. Giveaways, right? They work on everything, right? You're doing, you know, Twitter giveaway. You're doing a you know, Twitch giveaway. You're doing yeah. anything. People like giveaways. People like free stuff. People like incentives to to watch something that they were probably already going to watch anyway. Or even if, you know, players are, or, or sorry, excuse me, viewers are watching the players, right? 
you can have the mainstream open on another monitor, right? Oh, you know, tab back mm -hmm. into it, even if it's you know just mm -hmm. that plus one view, right? It still like matters in terms of uh, showing Riot, hey, there's interest in TFT esports, and you know, growing that because yeah. a lot of what can make TFT mm -hmm. successful is investment from you know from from Daddy Riot, right? Give TT the resources, so they can do more, <laughs> and that's always going to be a, a conversation there of oh, you know, like the TFT team, I, I think, has been widely seen as you know um uh pretty pretty small right they they do a lot with a little bit of resources but mm. imagine if they had more right what else could they do especially you know the the esports you know aspect of it right it's always been a, a talking point there but yeah it's a long-winded way to say i agree more incentives giveaways those, yeah. those are good <laughs> yeah it's um you know they can give away stuff we may only get one tenth the budget of lor but we deserve it <laughs> <laughs> oh no oh god uh, we've been talking too much about twit longest the last sort of what month now <laughs> on this podcast i think i'm about sick of it to be honest and there's going to be less of um, them now that there's regionals around the corner hopefully yeah. um maybe after i will regionals. say yeah oh I was gonna say, I, I do want to add that um, I think it does really make sense for the official broadcast to sort of focus more on making the game more sort of accessible and sort of palatable to newer players that are just coming in. Because I feel like uh, a lot of the more experienced and enfranchised players of the game are always going to default to like the streamer that they watch, if that makes sense. Like, you know, the Soju fans are always going to watch Soju, the Robin fans are always going to watch Robin. Um, so I think we're like, as with those players, as we discussed, it makes a lot of sense to like, you know, add a few incentives just to at least have the mainstream open. And I feel like, uh, in, my, in my own opinion, obviously just everything's just my own opinion, um, it makes a lot of sense for like the, the actual content of the main broadcast to sort of be catered more towards players that are sort of just, are sort of new to the scene, you know, they don't really know who, you know, all these players are, they don't know really, like, why they should care about who these players are, and, you know, all that sorts of things, right? I think it makes a lot of sense for that, that sort of content to be sort of catered towards that audience. But, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a great point. Um, we, I, get, I get a little bit lost in it sometimes, and I'm sure I'm not the only one who sort of gets lost in the, I've played this game for a long time, so... I kind of feel like you feel like you just know a couple of things about this kind of stuff, but realistically, every TFT tournament, there's hundreds of new players, players that have just started, players whose partners have convinced them to watch alongside them, players who are watching with their siblings and friends in Discord or, you know, watching instead of working and, and things like that. <laughs> um, so there's, there's, and they, they don't get the full. They don't get the full picture that we kind of take for granted that we have because we're so invested. So how, how, you know, it's, it's to have consistency, I think is really important as well. You know, if I, if I look away from my, or walk away from my computer, or if I go out to lunch and I come back um, and I'm, I'm looking at my screen, I want to see, um, uh, you know, I want to, I want to see uh, the same people, the same thing, you know, like I, I want to be able to come back and, and, feel like i haven't missed too much you know i think that's a really important point as well i can still follow along you know i still see crowing on my screen you know you're talking about something that i understand and and, and that kind of thing so mm -hmm. love that really great points sure. there um guys i wanted to finish off our sort of um major topic um uh, which is regionals of course uh with talking a little bit about uh the event 
itself, um, of course, one of the things that I love about TFT is just how up in the air it is. I'm wondering if you guys have any uh, sort of maybe surprise package picks that you th think could do really well, or maybe even like a uh, here's my bold prediction for what might end up happening over the regionals event, something like that. I will get started because I know it's a bit of a long-winded uh, question. I will say that I think my bold prediction is that the highest winning, the win like a Renata, Renata comp playing Renata plus bruises uh, wins at least one of the final day lobbies. That's my bold okay. regionals prediction. <laughs> Obviously, these are meant these are meant to be sort of outlandish. They're meant to be a little bit yep. like, why would you say that, you weirdo? But that's my bold <laughs> prediction. So I'll go to you first, Sol. Um, we'll give Crown a chance to think about it because I've kind of just sprung, sprung this on, uh, <laughs> on you guys. Sure. Uh, if we want to talk about like comps and stuff, my bold prediction, it's not very bold, by the way, is that uh, Aurelia is probably still broken and uh, we're, <laughs> we're going to see a lot of Silver Aurelia awards. <laughs> <laughs> What kind of boring ass bold prediction is that? That's the... <laughs> what do you mean Aurelia is still good? That's crazy. I, okay, I'll yeah, how dare they? That's fine. All right, I'll, I'll let you do that. I'm, I went the crazy route. I'll let you go. I'll let you be the safe, the safe pair of hands for the two of us. Uh, Crone, mm -hmm, have you got any? I can be the voice of reason. Yeah, someone's got two on this fucking podcast. <laughs> yeah, Crone, your um, your right. choice. Uh oh, man. Good question. I, okay, bold prediction. I think uh, players who go first and second in regionals will play majority reroll comps, I guess. Is that a bold prediction? That seems Maybe. pretty bold. I, I like that. Yeah, that's, that's, my, that's, my, yeah. that's my bold, that's that's my bold that's take. Fair. It probably won't happen, but it, it, it could, right? Because <laughs> it, it is when you get... I think this concept was actually brought up earlier. Um, oh, it was like the socks, like, oh, you just, you know, like one trick a, a comp or whatever, but I think, you know... Uh, players have gone to big tournaments before and just like, I'm just going to pick, you know, a reroll style or maybe like, you know, a, a two different reroll comps they're comfortable with and play that because it, it's a lot. If, if you're going with those comps, right, you're going to be able to have success a lot more frequently. You're going to know how to play them for every single situation, get punished less because the players like in a regional style lobby are all going to be really good, right? And you're going to know the ins and outs of, of, of comps. I think real comps traditionally do super well in tournaments like this. Um, but yeah, meta aside, um, but you know, talking about the the players as well. If uh, this is the section to to do that, is yeah, it? oh, absolutely, go ahead. Okay. Yeah, 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 cool. Absolutely. I I think there's actually a lot of really, really, really cool storylines, um, in terms of players moving into, uh, this event. I think there's been at least recently, in my opinion, a big focus on the new kind of up and coming, uh, emerging like new guard of, of TFT talent. And I think a couple of players in set six have really embodied that. Uh, one being Spicy Happies and two being Asa. They are names that have popped up consistently throughout this set and, and I think have uh, the hunger and the drive to do well. And I guess I bring up those words specifically of hunger and drive because it's kind of like that in a lot of different esports. Like you can kind of sometimes tell that some of the older guard, right, they are used to it. They are there because they are really good, but that, like, hunger and drive isn't always necessarily, like, there. And that sometimes, honestly, is the difference between, you know, 
pushing someone to the top uh, in a game of TFT, a game of variance, it's it's harder to you know make that um, I, I think an argument. But um, I do think those are players that definitely could have a a very strong run. I mentioned earlier that I think you know Setsuko is would be my my pick to to take it right. I think Setsuko is just just very good. But I, I really want to see these newer players come out in tournaments like this and have a big impact, qualify for worlds um and things like that but there's you know a few dark horse picks as well i think a couple of names that uh kind of mind in terms of like you know players i wouldn't really expect to come out of this at a first but i'd be really happy to see or like uh like void sin or like uh ruby van uh kenobi or, or pana but i think as well um being you know dark horse picks but there's you know your your classic your your staple you know players that you love and you're gonna expect to do well like ramblin uh, new Bowl, Robin, and there's always the fun, you know, Soju factor to throw in there as well. <laughs> you never, oh, I think I think Soju did actually tweet um, that he was gonna, you know, basically implying that he was doing well. So of course he's gonna go in regionals and do uh, very poorly. As that means he's yeah, yeah. Means he's going in it. Soju writes something. It's it's crazy. But people give Soju a lot a lot of flag for like. You know, tournament Soju Omegalol, but I actually think overall in the past couple of sets, like he does pretty well in, in, in tournaments, at least in getting to the final day. I think there's like several tournaments now where he's good at getting to the final day and then just like goes eighth on, on day three of an event. <laughs> so I think the regionals might be a tournament where he kind of does similar, but it's always fun, right? You say Soju is the plus 20k viewers to the event, so you know, you gotta, gotta be rooting for the guy at that point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you gotta give the bear, you gotta, you know, Flip the switch and give him the good RNG for day one and day two to really increase the viewership. Yeah. You can turn exactly. it back. You More can turn time. it back off on day three. You know. <laughs> yeah. More time. You got us for you know yeah. peak viewership. Hopefully. It's a great point about Appies and Acer as well. I mean, we had a fantastic episode with Acer a couple of weeks ago where we talked about a lot about variants and about sort of proving yourself and becoming re like a really really good TFT player. Because um, yeah. at the end of the day, this is an esport where you don't have a team around you. Re realistically, it's just you. You've really yep. got to be the one to push yourself, to practice, to know as much as possible, to to understand your odds and your outs, and probably like we talked about probability yeah. and math and things like that with Acer. And those are the kind of intricate small advantages that you you never see but the second that someone like acer comes out and destroys a tournament you start thinking like wow like there's all these little things i can be doing to to push myself to be a, a better player mm -hmm. yeah definitely and uh i guess a, a point to um not like add on to that but just want to mention especially from coming from asa who I'm sure you, you talked about it from his background, but like a poker player talking about variants, I'm sure there's like yeah. there's such fascinating things to talk about when it comes to uh, TFT and like mitigating variants. And you know, I, I think Asa has the mindset of like there's literally always something that you can do better, and you should focus on that to kind of like improve your your own game because it, it's so true, right? TFT is a game that you can literally never play perfectly. You can chalk a game up to oh, I like low rolled here, you know, had a bad game. But you can, you know, especially in TV tournaments, it's so important to say, like, okay, if I can play for a 7th and 7th, 8th here, like, that is huge. Like, that's what you should be doing, like, every single time is play for your, for your out, play for your win condition. 
play to get a seventh instead of an eighth, right? Some of the most rewarding feeling games could be you get a seventh over an eighth, right? Over a game where like you top four and it feels really bad that you only got fourth. Um, hmm. So yeah, Asa just really, really smart player. So uh, mm -hmm. definitely that's why he's one of my picks. And I'm really excited to see you know, how he could do um, in terms of like, you know, those, those new up and coming um, kind of new guard of TFT. Yeah, so I'm sure that you, um, uh, as someone who was or also played poker previously, I mean, I'm sure that resonates with you as well. Mm, yeah, I mean, absolutely, right? Um, I think, yeah, like, if I was to also extend, like, my picks to, you know, other players other than just Nubal, I think Acer would definitely be a favorite, I think, for sure. Um, he's been, yeah, I mean, he's been on the grind. He's been putting a lot of work right lately into, into the game. And, like... You know, someone like him, I think, definitely know, like has the sort of right process and approach as well to a game like TFT, right? Like, so yeah, I, I think that like he's got a very good shot. He's got a very good shot. Doing really well. Yeah, guys, that's um, that's going to do it for sort of the main section of our episode. So, uh, as uh, those of you all know, if you've listened to the podcast before, this is sort of sort of the portion where we hand over and we ask some questions. We just have a nice little informal chat, a lot of chance to get to know our guests a little bit better. Uh, if you are listening to this on the audio, you can, of course, tune in. Um, the times are always posted a, a week in advance, so you know when to um, when to expect you can tune in live at, on, on Twitch. Uh, and this is uh, also the part where I hand over to um, to Sol to facilitate the questions. I know that we got a really good one in chat. I thought that would be a really interesting hmm. one to start with. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so we can start with that one. So the first one comes from uh, Biagro in chat. Shout out to Carlos. That is his real name. Uh, thoughts on needing a specific rank to cast TFT? I feel like TFT needs like a higher level of skill to talk about on broadcast. Uh, ooh, specific rank to cast TFT. I mean, okay. So a lot of people, I think this conversation happens a lot of esports. Like, oh, caster should be a higher rank. I, I don't think so. I think a lot of actually... For TFT, more than other games, you can get a lot of knowledge from studying the game. Actually, you get probably more knowledge from studying than it comes from just jamming games yourself um, as a TFT caster. I think there's a lot better uses of your time, especially with what I mentioned earlier of analyzing the players and wanting to make the player the main focus because that's what makes, I think, TFT sports the most successful. That is where most of the time should be done. Sure, you need to still play the game. You need to still, you know... Um, be able to talk about things that happen, but um, I don't think a specific rank should uh, or needs to be uh, required. Some of the best casters in esports history are from players in that game who are low rank. And sure, TFT, again, is, is a separate game, but I, I think, yeah, studying is oftentimes a better use of, of the time than uh, actually just jamming the game. Personally, and that comes from me, who is you know I've been high rank in TFT, right? Like I'm not just saying that. I was like, oh, I am silver and I can't climb, so I don't think you need to, right? Like I don't, I, I just I just really truly believe that you, I don't think you need a high rank to be good at uh, TFT casting. Sure, you might miss out on some of the like really niche things that you can talk about in like very specific situations because you know you're a phenomenal player in TFT cast, but I think as we mentioned in this episode. That's not really usually the point of a TFT, uh, TFT cast. Like, sure, you can, and some players would, you know, some viewers would really appreciate that. But if we're kind of taking the point uh, of TFT cast as to be accessible to, like, everybody, you can have those moments, but they're going to be few and far between. A lot of the work should be um, to, again, be that kind of, that, that balance, that middling ground, making sure that 
everyone is understanding kind of what you're trying to say and um yeah that being the focus of it you can get that from just studying the game yeah i think um to add on a little bit to that one of the things that makes sort of broadcasting such a skill in of itself you know i uh for those of you that sort of i don't know i guess i haven't really talked about it on the podcast before but you know i work in like broadcast tv on like a day-to-day basis as like my job so uh, and working with a lot of people that cast sports events and live sports and sideline reports and specialists and blah 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 blah. there's like a hundred different jobs you can be doing on the side of a sports field or an esports game to benefit and, and to provide e- like excellence towards a, a broadcast. And one of the things that makes broadcasting so difficult is just how um, necessary prior research is. And I would suggest that if it's going to take you 100, 150, 200 games of TFT to really understand it, uh, and every game is half an hour. You know, you're sort of wasting, <laughs> there's a hundred hours of like preparation time that is much better used in like, as Crow mentioned earlier, working on understanding players and, and understanding the, the game as a whole from an analytical perspective than it is jamming 200 games just to, just to be a good rank. I think that does apply generally in every esport, And I mean, some of the, as you said, you know, some of the best, uh, league of legends casters of all time barely play the game they don't have enough time they're too busy focusing on how to make broadcasting and how to make the experience of a live event so beneficial to to everybody yep um but if you are a good player i mean that's great i mean i don't know how you would have the time to prepare for an event challenger like that kind of thing like but i mean if you can do it then you're you're a freak that's great and you're a welcome addition and uh i see the person in chat if i could respond to their their kind of follow-up there uh for a second it's like yeah a lot of tft casters are a high rank not every single tft caster is like peaked at challenger or even like got to masters um but yeah sure a lot did so we're kind of spoiled in the tft um you know scene as a lot of the casters are really good high ranking you know challenger players so it just kind of happens to work out that way but i think just saying a blanket statement of should you the the answer is yeah still no i don't think you you need to or, or should Hmm. yeah i think like if i can add my take i think like it's a nice sort of bonus to have if the caster is high rank but i think like it's definitely not necessary and i think it's also overstated as to how valuable that having a high rank actually is right because i think like when you have a very high rank uh what tends to happen is um you tend to have very good sort of uh, anecdotal evidence to bring to the table. You know, you can be like, oh, in my ladder games, I experienced this, 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 this. But I feel like if we apply that to a broadcast standpoint, that doesn't really, like, matter, and it's not particularly valuable. Like, the audience is not particularly... The audience is watching the game for, you know, the players playing. They're not particularly interested in, you know, what this, like, you know, what the caster experienced in their specific ladder game, right? They're not particularly interested in that. They're interested in, like, you know, what it is... Like, what, what makes the boards that they're seeing tick? They're interested in, like, understanding, like, what exactly it is they're watching, right? And for that, like, I, I, I personally feel like that that's a completely sort of separate skill set to sort of analyze things from a big picture perspective rather than, like, analyzing it through the lens of, like, a player, right? So, yeah, I guess my take is, like, again, it's not a very hot take. But <laughs> it's very much, like, um, I don't think rank is necessary or even particularly important. Um, I think as Crow and, as Crow and, like, highlighted, right, it's a lot more important 
to put in that prep time, to put in that research, to start really understand like um, what what is going on in a big picture perspective, and then to figure out how can I make this palatable and sort of understandable to my audience. But yeah, yeah, good discussion. Um, for sure. Um, all right, let's let's just follow up with another Costa related question. Um, cool. So from the perspective of a Costa, uh, what is the best way to make the TFT format engaging? Um, TFT format, how to make that engaging. Um, that's a good question. I, I think uh, it's hard. It's hard. Engaging to an audience, I, I suppose. Yeah, the, yeah, TFT yeah, yeah, yeah. tournament format is re- it's like a big question. So I to- yeah. totally understand. It's a loaded this question. question. This is the loaded, it's a very loaded question. question. Right? So I totally understand if it's like I'm not really sure. Yeah. Like totally understand that because it's a really hard question, you know, and one we certainly yeah. don't have an answer to either. Uh, I I do think that some of the peak TFT tournament formats have been. I think it happened in Giant Slayer series um a, a tournament that ex- that's banned over the course of multiple weeks right there's like multiple uh different patches that players are, are playing on they have points that kind of feed to a, a larger kind of end game thing it, it's a lot to digest at that point but i think that is the goal where a tft viewer should be invested over the long term of a of a scene hopefully not just like oh this one tournament means that okay they qualify for this all right i'll check out of tft and just tune back in at a certain point um until like the next like big tournament but like having like consistent like weekly or you know bi-weekly stuff i think is is really good and it sets expectations of you know people say like they're used to watching i don't know lcs like every week right just like having some uh, specific and like already preset times on on their events and stuff and only in the tft format as well having it um kind of feed into a larger bigger picture somewhere down the line so they can keep track of the player's progress even if they miss a week of watching or you know a couple weeks it's not gonna be end of the world right they can still you know tune in maybe it's like you know the scores are posted on a website or something so they can just you know check in oh that player you know players i'm watching did you know x y and, and z good um move into next week they, they can watch right so something like that it's mm. a large order i think but if that made sense um, oh it's not easy <laughs> it's yeah, not easy it's, to it's, think about <laughs> it's it's not there's yeah it's why it's a big discussion it's why it's, it's a big hard-hitting mm. question <laughs> i would like to say as well that i think something that i've been thinking about recently that we haven't actually mentioned on this podcast is like getting a working 2v2 tournament replicatable format would actually be a really nice introduction to a a field of swamped event of like events that people feel like don't matter too much to them. I know a lot of like the twit longers are like, why should I have to play seven events where only two of them matter and blah 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 and things like that. Well, mix it up sometimes and have double up events, have two v two tourneys, have like, you know use what tft has which is like this really engaging fun every game's a little bit different every game's a little bit more fun every game's a little bit more random use like what we have like set three like set three we always use the example of set three because we love set three so much on this podcast but like every game every game on set three so different 
so much fun. Some of them you wanted to rip your hair out because it was so frustrating. And some of them you were literally on top of the, like literally you're on top of the world. Nothing could bring you down. Um, re replicating that in a tournament format is really hard, but I would say like, don't, what I would say if they were going to like expand the tournament format in any way, like don't be afraid to just throw some fun stuff in there. Like give the players like a little bit of a break from what I guess they consider to be monotony. You know, I don't consider like six TFT tournaments a year to be like monotonous, you know, but obviously those players <laughs> clearly do. Like, of course we yeah. come from a card game background where it's like, every weekend there's a different tournament and then one day you're flying to a different part of the country or you're flying to england or you're flying to america it's like obviously you can't do that in in a in a game like the in a game like this so how do you break up the monotony well you you add some sort of you add a bit of spice you know you got to add a little bit of jalapeno in there or something to mix things up that's just something i've been thinking about lately that i wanted wanted to add on to this discussion about the the tournament format Mm -hmm. oh sorry yeah. that went a bit long that's okay all right cool got another question uh from unreal fish in the chat uh do we think that in a hypothetical hypothetically if we pl if people played a sort of replica tourney on a different set slash patch say from set three then the meta would be diff would be the same or that the player base has evolved over time and the meta would be different to i guess what it was back then yeah I don't know if I wanted oh, to Oh, okay. Well. So but you, you it, know what I mean, right? Yeah, I think so. If you like play at a tournament now on like set three, like how has the player base evolved? So like, like how different would it be? Um, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I think actually TFT players have gotten a lot better, like every single mm -hmm. set, thinking back from the early sets. So I think it would be. It's hard to say like exactly how different it would be, right? But the answer is just it, it would be different, right? Players would be able to figure out. Uh, figure out new things, figure out even just like, so like how, how metas form is just like you, you take, uh, I mean, okay. So you can take like, you know, what's good overall, you know, you take all the, all the data, right. But a lot of it, especially when you boil down to a tournament, is just like, what do those players prioritize at the time? What specific evidence do they have to lead them in a, a certain direction? And that could change based off of the day. We've seen tournaments where there's metas that were kind of not completely different from like day one to day two or something, but still, you know, a, a lot different. So um, it's a lot of just like the timing of it as well. But generally, for speaking about the TFT players as a whole, yes, they've changed a lot. So whereas things that were good back then are probably good just because, you know, players hadn't figured out exactly how to think about the game in that next kind of level at next capacity um so yeah i guess that's my answer oh this is a loaded this is a loaded question this one I think, <laughs> because we had socks on last week and socks talked about how bad everybody was in set two and set three like socks said he was like the oh, worst yeah? player ever in set two when he was like rank one the entire set or something like that and he was like i was yeah. so shit back then like i because he never re like he didn't know what reroll was or like like slow rolling <laughs> back then you know so yeah, he yeah talk, no one he, did he talked a lot about like well he's ordered yeah he's ordered a pioneer slow yeah, rolling exactly mm -hmm. he's literally created the strategy like coming yeah. like coming back to like that feeling like if he had just gone back and he said you know if you go back to set one knowing how to slow roll you just play nocturne every game you'd win every lobby in like a set one lobby because yeah. you know you would just hit all your units um this is really interesting because i i think that like if you played 
set three now with the player base that you have now um a lot more people i think would actively dislike it than like it because i think that mm. people would be less receptive to the galaxies than they were when tft was slightly slightly like not less popular but like embracing the sort of the wild child side of it before the sort of the the excessive seriousness kind of crept into the high the high elo player base i think that there would be overall like from a casual perspective slightly less enjoyment of set three if it were to exist now however i think that the the tournament meta and stuff i don't know like everything that you can think of about set three for example that like would be good is probably still like would probably just still be good there'd be a lot more um like there'd probably be a lot more like three stars on a lot of boards because people knew like people know how to roll and efficiently use their gold now like you'd probably see like a lot a lot more re-rolling i reckon like um uh obviously like celestials was a really popular re-roll board with like Zinjiao, Jarvan, rakan i'm missing one there was another one there but you know, like that was a reroll uh, board. But I remember, I remember when I played that comp in set three, I would never have any gold because I didn't know what slow rolling is. I would have like twenty gold in stage four and not have any of my units and be really sad. So like mm -hmm. the 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 cappedness of every board would be so much greater because everyone would have like yep. perfect boards pretty much all the time. The further you go back, yep. like you'd always like i'd never like donkey roll at level five for, for mech like for fizz you know like i'd never like spend 40 gold at level five just trying to find that like five percent fizz so sorry Karen, i interrupted you there what were you gonna say no no <laughs> my bad i was trying to, I was trying to interrupt you yeah. um but um yeah i think actually the point of uh where boards are going to be more capped i think that actually has a, a big influence on just the meta in general because these boards mm -hmm. that were you know good were sometimes only good because they weren't going up against super capped boards, right? Be because they were ones that were supposed to spike early and they could bully the lobby. They would get kind of more staying power just because other people wouldn't know how to use their gold, wouldn't know how to use their economy to make their, say, like, late game, like, four or five cost boards uh, as good as they were, or even their, like, you know, three cost reroll boards. So um, it's really impossible to say exactly, you know, how that would have changed the meta. I just am pretty confident saying that it would have, it would have in, like, pretty in a bit a pretty big way usually um because yep. if you take yeah again the comps that are good were only good because other players didn't fully spike yeah sorry your, your thoughts on this one um yeah no i mean like i think that like it would honestly be completely different i think that like as the sets go on players get significantly better um we've already said this a lot already beat it to death but like I mean, legit, if you took, like, a diamond player from, like, set 6 and you threw that diamond player all the way back in time, back in, like, I don't know, set 1, set 2, that diamond player would probably be, like, top 10 challenger very easily. <laughs> That's because, like, the game has evolved so much, like, in terms of understanding how they play, right? Like, as, you know, we discussed it a lot in the Sox episode, like, last week, but, like, prior to set 4, people barely even understood what playing flex even meant. Like, people just picked the comp and bought units for their comp. And, I mean, I am... I remember this very, very vividly. I am very guilty of this. I remember back in the day, like, oh, I am playing Cybers. I am only clicking Cyber units. I am playing Rebels. I am only clicking Rebel units. What is this flexing? I've never heard of it in my life. 
So, yeah, and like to bring up another example about like I, if you want to stay on this set three topic, um, a, another one I can think of is like um, set three point five cybernetics was literally was played as like a played as like a fast day comp that you, you would you would just buy the cybers you would carry vein and you just wouldn't roll. But if you think about it, right, it, it doesn't really make sense for that comp not to roll because that comp plays around a three cost carry which is vein. But the thing is, nobody rolled at three two back in back in the day. But it doesn't make any sense. Like all the units you play around are ones, twos, and threes. So like that in itself would completely change. Like would completely change the tempo, right? Like if we go back into that with the understanding that we do now, you'd have like way more people rolling for like vein twos or or just like up, upgraded cybernetics at three two. The whole lobby tempo gets like completely shifted because you have like you would now hypothetically have these like cyber players like Omega Spike at three two, and so comps that like worked before don't necessarily work because you know. You're not getting smacked for like twenty by all these cyber players that have boards that can't be killed. So this is a really long way of saying that like if we we can apply this to literally any um, any set uh, back in time, if we go back into it with what we know now, right? Um, like assuming the units stay the same, we go back to it with what we know now. Um, I think the the complete meta like just completely changes because you know, as Kron mentioned earlier as well, the meta is purely a byproduct of what players think is good at the time. It's not really actually like a hard like solved thing it's purely a consequence of like okay so like people everyone thinks that this thing is good so people then play this thing to counter that thing that people think is good but like what if the thing that people thought was good was net was was not even good in the first place <laughs> and it was only played because people thought it was good so yeah that, that that brings up a whole can of worms exactly but the point of the yeah, the point is, is that like, if we were to ever like hypothetically have these tourneys in the future where we revisit the old sets, I, I think it would be actually quite interesting because um, you, you would you would have all these people approaching it from a completely sort of fresh perspective, a fresh lens, and uh, you know strategies that you know were good back then probably don't hold up now. So yeah, bit of a wordy answer, but I think it's, I mean, it's pretty interesting. Anyway, bring back set three. That's the whole point, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, Moore has said that they, they want to do Galaxies Part 2. It's just that they can't, like, it's still a bit too close. Yeah, like, set to, nine, to maybe, probably, I think, coming back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, let's, uh, let's move away from the past a bit, move towards the future. What's everyone's, uh, so the question is, what is everyone's biggest hope for set seven? What are we looking forward to seeing? What do we want, to, what do we want them to do? All that kind of stuff, basically. Mm. yeah uh hope for set seven i i think taking that question in a very broad sense really quick i think uh the tft team you know more and all of them do a really good job at learning from each set what worked out and what didn't work out and i think coming from uh from set six as well as all the previous sets like you know how do i how do i word this um the specific units that are in each set, right, like kind of make the game feel like really, really good or bad. I had an example, but I I, I lost it somewhere along the way. <laughs> but like knowing like what units should be like what costs should be like what tags and even like I guess taking an example from this set, like having say like Rek'Sai and Sejuani being, you know, three tags, uh, strong mm -hmm. units, right? Like that's something that like, oh yeah, maybe that's a little bit, uh, a little bit problematic, right? And I had to, you know, do, do nerf something like that. So just, it will get better over every TFT set, right? The, the dev team will just learn more stuff. But uh, also I think you can take 
um, generally what has been seen as very favorably like augments and use concepts like that in TFT sets down the line and things like, um, I'm sorry, in chat as well, so I'm going to you know bring it up like armories, like uh, understanding like why they work, why they don't, and kind of putting everything that they, they've learned from TFT in general and just, you know, making a, a good quality set. So I just hope it's going to be quality, going to be good. And uh, from the beginning, I, I think as well, that's like a really big uh, kind of hit or miss for a lot of players is like, is the set, you know, well balanced which is, is hard to do but like fun and engaging and like has something for everybody right like has something that makes the uh, professional players like really excited to play something that makes the casuals like not seem too overwhelmed as well like i think there's a really really hard balancing act um that has to happen in every single tft set but i think it again it just keeps getting better and better in terms of the execution of that uh, every single set yeah, another good question here yeah. as well. I think um, we have confirmation of sorts that in some way or another, Augments will be making a return in set seven. Um, I like. I guess we've kind of. I've kind of gone full circle with it. Like, oh yeah, love it, great idea, or eh, not so sure. Kind of. Eh, do I want to play this anymore? Blah, blah, blah. Do I want to play Augments? But at the end of the day, I think that Kron's totally right. Like, every set, they get more and more innovative and in they invest their, like, love and energy and time into, like, creating the best possible thing that they can. So as long as that they stay true to, like, their own design philosophies, I mean, I don't think there's any way, like, set seven would ever be, like, a bad, you know? basically i don't think i don't think like yeah. there will be a a bad set anymore you know i like bad meaning any number of different things to different people like i don't like this or i don't like that but like a set that's like unfun no way like i don't i don't think you'll there'll Wait. be a consensus of un unfunness ever again i think there'll be a 5.0 ever again yeah. <laughs> nothing quite like that ever again mm. Yeah, um, no, no more five point like, I think in the future. <laughs> yeah, um, I think for me, my biggest hope for set seven is. Ooh, actually, let me quickly. I, I've had a lot of time to think about. It, but, I mean, it's 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 going to be a, it's going to be a boring answer, a safe answer. But uh, my biggest hope is that the uh, set mechanic takes what that they've learned works and doesn't really work with augments. Um, and sort of does it in a um, a more iterative way. I, I, I don't expect it to be perfect. Um, I, I don't expect it to be, you know, balanced out of the gate. But I, I, I do hope that, you know, they they at least, at least by looking at it, you can tell that, like, um, they've made a conscious effort to try to sort of uh, improve on um, what they learn works and what doesn't work with set six. Um, and, and, you know, go from there, basically. Because that's, I feel like... Uh, from your devs, that's all you can really ask for. You know, I think balance and things like that, um, you, you can't really expect them to get around the first try. These things take, you know, millions and millions and millions of repetitions and data and, and, and all this analysis to sort of really figure out where all the numbers should be. But I think concepts, however, um, concepts, however, you can sort of hold your designers to a higher bar because, you know, um, we you do you you as 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 like a dev you do learn what works and what doesn't work you know over over time as you as you iterate more and more as you do more and more sets right so it would feel bad if like for example set seven's mechanic comes out and it has the exact same problems as 
augments it in set six. And it's like, well, you know, what did we really learn from set six, right? Like, let's say hypothetically, set seven comes out and the augments have just a, a god-awful, well, the set seven mechanic just has a god-awful uh, algorithm and it makes no sense why you're being offered what you're being offered. And it's like, well, you know, we kind of learned this already from set six that, you know, it should be somewhat controlled. And it's like, yeah. So without getting too much on a soapbox here, I think that uh, for me, my biggest hope is is that um, the set seven mechanic is uh, it's it's an iteration, it's an improvement, uh, or at least um, an attempt to sort of uh, build on what we saw in set six. Um, I want to jump back real quick because um, you touched this, you touched on this a little bit as well, Crowen, about uh, armories, and this is a question that was asked by uh, Zando in chat. It, um, he'd like to ask you what you think about sort of armories um, and what their impact would be on the game if they returned. Now, we will want to add that uh, Motor himself has leaked that uh, an armory-like mechanic will actually be in set seven. So this actually this actually does uh, this question actually does uh, have quite a bit of relevance for the future. Uh, yeah, I, I think, I mean, what armories do is they are going to, more often than not, right, eliminate variants, and so you can have, you know, okay, I'm going to get, you know, what, whatever it offers, right, I'm going to get, like, this this thing here, so you can plan for it, you can, um, you know, prepare, it's not just, like, completely, you know, full RNG, whatever. Um, I think, actually, it's interesting that, that Sox was the last person on, because I think Sox in the past has been pretty vocal about how he actually like was the one of the people who didn't like armories. I forget the reasons why. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think I think armories are are fine. I think they're good. I personally enjoyed them when I was uh was playing TFT. I think there wasn't like eh, there wasn't really any reason that yeah, I, I, I disliked them. I think now that we know or have a leak that they're gonna be impactful in the future. I think that, again, with kind of the concepts you were just talking about, so of like, yeah, you know, for augments, you know, like what you should um, be, you know, offering players at, at a certain time, right, at each you know, point in the game. Um, I, I think there's a lot of learnings that they've done with uh, with armories as well. And so being able to introduce those, I'm more excited about that because it's probably going to be in a really, really like, you know, I guess just well thought out manner. Um, so, yeah, I'm just looking forward to it. I think they're good. Let me experience. I'm for it. Mm -hmm. If I can add, I think that um, I think that the main uh, sort of uh, sort of argument almost against armories, or rather the the downside of them, is that um, they make it so that the game is almost too consistent, which mm -hmm. feels weird because TFT players are always bitching that the game is too random. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, I, I feel like it is a bit of a divisive topic, you know, um, because like some players will argue that you know there should be. As little variance as possible. I, I should uh, have as I should. It should be as consistent as I can be. Whereas, um, you know, other players will, will argue the opposite, where like you know there should be a lot more randomness in it. And I feel like I'm somewhere in between, where I feel like um, the version uh, armories as like an idea as a mechanic is very very solid. I like the control that it gives players that sort of consistency. I think that part is like really hard to like argue against. But I will say I think that uh, the version of armories that we had in set five um, and to a lesser extent. Well, I think, yeah, to a lesser extent, 5.5 as well, uh, made it so that it was a bit too easy to force uh, specific items and specific builds. And uh, I feel like this was specific, uh, it was, uh, sorry, it was particularly skewed when um, you had meta warping items, um, like in set 5, where, for example, like Shadow Blue Buff of Blanc, Shadow Blue yeah. Buff Rise. It's extremely easy to force items like these because of the existence of Shadow items. Because, like, sorry, not Shadow items, because of the existence of armories. Like, you know, the armory shows up, it's guaranteed to 
it's guaranteed. I think it was guaranteed or close to guaranteed to have a shadow item in it. And then, you know, you see it and you're like, okay, cool. We're good to go. You grab this and, you know, you don't really have to think. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm pretty excited to see how they sort of, again, iterate and build on that. Um, because I think it was a very solid mechanic that just, um, it, it was a little bit, a little bit, a little bit sort of too raw in its form. And it just a little bit, little, need a little, sort of a little bit more polish to it. Yeah. I, if I, I could, add, I, the only thing I'd like to add on there is like the, you mentioned a really good point about like getting the items that you exactly want every game. I, I'm also sort of halfway between like, give me the items I really want for my comp every single game and let me experience something different every single game. Because it feels really good to like play one thing a couple of games in a row and always have IEBT Last Whisper Aurelia or, you know, whatever. Like, but the that's where I think the armories can be improved upon is to increase diversity in sort of game in like builds and gameplay and things like that um i would like to see if they're gonna bring like armories back maybe oh, i don't know but like like a 50 like like 50 50s or something like that or like you get one but you get this like i don't i don't know i i think that there there's got to certainly be a way to like change up the kind of repetitive i get the exact items that i want every single game because even without um armories right now like i feel like most tft games right now after stage five most players have great you know exact i you know really good items for any board in the game so to increase the kind of variability and variance of that kind of thing, maybe there's a, a way that I'm not thinking of to sort of change that up, but I don't want it to be, too, I don't want it to be too easy to have full build carries in set seven. I guess that's my sort of point. Yep. Um, I'd like, I'd like there to be some variance in that fact. There's definitely a skill to understanding how to sort of slam and play around suboptimal carry items that I feel like was not particularly expressive in set 5 because of the existence of armories. So I think in set 5 you saw a lot of just like just straight up best in slot, like 3 item tank, 3 item like carry. And the, a big reason of it is because armories made it so easy. Whereas I think in set 6 that we see that now we, we've returned to just getting our items randomly through creep rounds. Um, there's a lot more sort of almost build variety in terms of how carries are built. It's not, it's not as rigid for example. Like like if we if we you know we take a popular example as like Irelia right like Irelia like in theory like some of her best like her best in slot could be something like Infinity Edge Last Whisper Bloodthirster but like because armories don't exist you're not going to get that every single game and so you you see a lot of sort of build like variety in terms of itemization you know you could do something like uh Giant Slayer like Giant Slayer Infinity Edge uh Hand of Justice or you could do like uh Giant Slayer Deathblade um you know whatever basically like blood like you know bloodthirsty you know like there's a lot of different sort of variations to the items where i feel like um when we had armories it was literally just always like okay i'm playing aphelios i'm going to build rageblade but it's like Blade and Giant Slayer every single game. Yeah. Or it's like, I don't know, I'm playing playing Lucian. I lost this for like one more item every single game. And um, yeah, so I, I think that like that was the sort of main sort of criticism, I think, in my opinion, of armories where you, you just end up building the same items every single game. And, and, and if anything, um, when you don't get the items you want, it feels even worse because everyone else probably got the items that they wanted. So yeah, that is an interesting. Hmm. 
It's a balancing act. That's right. for sure. Mm, mm, yep. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, I think we might do one more question and then we'll probably call it. Um, because uh, yeah, I think we're getting close to the two hour mark. Um, we I think we talked about this. We always do. We've touched on this a bit already on this uh, specific episode. We've talked about this a lot in the past, but I think it's always good, especially uh, to talk about this, especially when we have a caster on as our guest. Um, how do we sort of feel about uh, TFT's potential growth as like an esport? I think it is purely dependent, not purely, but mostly dependent on Riot and the willingness to put resources into TFT esports. Um, and it seems as though as of right now, Riot is not trending towards like putting a bunch of, you know, investment into TFT Sports. There's a little bit, right? There's enough to, you know, keep the players invested for for now. But I, I think personally, when say so like I was competing, and I think still a lot of for a lot of players right now, a lot of people are looking towards the future of like, oh, what you know, the, the same question, right? Like, what is TFT's potential growth? But if it doesn't happen to have much of a, of a shift, right, then I think it's going to start to feel, like, pretty pretty bad from a competitor's perspective. Like, what's my reason of staying here? If, you know, the only way you can actually make it as a TFT player is to be a successful streamer as well, like, to in terms of, like, making a living, right? Like, you can't make a living off of TFT tournaments even if, like, you know, you're one of the the best players sometimes even that's just like you know not a, a feasible thing um so yeah a lot subject on riot's investment say if you're you know making it a, a consistent thing and i think it's even still like a, i don't even think there's like world championship details announced right now so it's such a, a situation where like <laughs> players are going to regionals being like what am i competing for what right like for? <laughs> yeah exactly so <laughs> Yeah, I think that there's still a lot of work to do, and I know a lot of players, uh, or not not a lot of players, but a lot of um, uh, viewers and stuff like look at that and they're like, oh, you know, Riot, you know, Mortdog, Dev Team, what are you guys doing? But don't don't look at them, don't yell at them. They're not, you know, the ones in control of like you know the esports side of, of TFT and stuff. Those are, at least to my best understanding, those that's an, another division of uh, a team of people. So, but just having that feel more cohesive more co um more, more connected and just yeah putting putting more resources in right even if it is like you know more money like a couple you know uh, it's easy for me to say as someone who isn't running a business right but you know um just you know, a couple thousand or maybe twenty thousand more dollars you know for like an event or something or like making you know the the regionals right like you know big prize pool really hype i think it was even a situation where if you compared um worlds in set five to the chinese regionals the chinese regionals had a bigger prize pool than the actual <laughs> oh, world yeah. way bigger <laughs> yeah way so, bigger yeah it's like huh <laughs> the chinese players show up to worlds and they're like okay i mean it's not really as hype as the regionals were but like i guess we'll show up and play and stuff like i don't know it's just yeah right support please right help us come on yeah <laughs> Give us any something, <laughs> something we could we could use it. We'll be good. Um, yeah. Re realistically, at the end of the day, I think um, the improvements all all stem from how willing Riot is to back a back it. Um, we 
we are biased, but I don't see why it's not possible. You know, like I think it's really possible. Um, I think it's really possible for TFT to be big. Uh, yep. And that's uh, that's that's really it. I, I hope it. I hope it continues. Yeah, I think that like, I think this is one of those like really weird um, West compared to sort of Eastern, almost like demographics. I would say because um, so like to provide some context, like the like TFT is really really popular in China. It, it's it's really really popular in that region specifically. Um, and a big part of it actually is because um, the most people like. The most games that people play in China are actually mobile games, and so I believe when TFT Mobile essentially came out, the game actually got the game got really really popular because of like its accessibility via mobile, which in turn led to it being really really sort of big in China. We don't really have that at all in the West, so I feel like TFT's like growth as like an esport is sort of almost limited in the West because. There are all these other sort of big name games that like people are always going to gravitate towards, right? And I'll quote um, Jirachi um, from a while ago. I don't remember when they said this, but um, Hearth no, sorry. Uh, TFT should sort of, in terms of like growth as an esport, TFT should be striving to be what sort of Hearthstone was at its peak in terms of like sort of viewership, support, prize, and all sorts of things like that. And I think it definitely has the potential to be that. I think that the game itself is. Only as good, if not better, than Hearthstone was at its peak. And I think that, like, the interest in player base is definitely there for it. Um, but I do think that, like, it's not as simple as just, like, oh, throw more money at it, you know, make the prize pools bigger. I think a lot of it does have to do with, A, the culture, um, the culture in the West um, towards games like TFT, as well as actual just general structural changes that just need to, like, be a lot better. Like, we touched on it this with the Worlds example, like, the format for Worlds has not even been announced for some reason, <laughs> and players are about to go play regionals. It's like, things like that don't take more money. They, they simply, like, well, they might, but, like, you know what I mean. Like, it's, it's not necessarily about even about money. It's more just about organization at that point, right? It's more mm. about, like, okay, well, you know, at least, you know, let the players know what they're even playing for. And it's like, I, I feel like some of it, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to like, I'm not trying to call anyone out or anything. I'm just saying, but some of it does feel like almost just, just poor organization and poor structural, like just bad structure rather than just like, oh, Papa Riot isn't giving us enough money. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's sort of my take on, on TFT as an eSport, but yeah. Just a little thing to add on to that. It almost feels like Riot sometimes just looks at TFT and they're like, oh yeah, TFT, oh, oh yeah, we got to like organize this event. It's almost like it's yeah. like a back corner of, of, of priority <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, sometimes, yeah. which in order for a game to succeed and be successful, like, yeah, it shouldn't be the case. And I think as well, um, there's the, I mean, TFT is a game that is within the League of Legends client, right? It doesn't really have its own identities to some extent. And there's, Oh, they, 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 this is a big problem. I think actually, if you ask a TFT viewer, like, oh, like when this like next like event is or something, people don't know. People just hear it from the streamers that they watch. Like when yeah. when events are like, there's not like the, yeah. the communication between like where people where like Riot comes into and then like where people find their information. It's like a complete disconnect. It's just like it's actually sure. really 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 crazy. Um, and if TFT esports is going to grow and if TFT esports is going to be a big thing, that needs to change. Yeah. yeah, somebody with a marketing yeah, degree sure. really needs to get in there. 
you know <laughs> somebody with like, a, with like a background yeah. a background in like social media marketing or something really needs to pop their head up you know <laughs> i think like mm. having that having or like even like a just a link because it feels like tft is so disconnected mm -hmm. from sure. riot even though it's on the same client because riot don't know what's mm. going on with the tournament format so the tft dev team don't know what's going on so they can't actively plan or promote things or anything like that there's not enough um you know there's not enough yeah. commun in inter company communication i guess yeah yeah like it, it almost feels like um it's it's rather than the direct lack of resources it, it almost feels like it's just the poor sort of allocation of resources like manpower is there but like it's just not being efficiently you know distributed not being efficiently moved around right so yeah yeah it goes to question you know with, with that being the case it goes to question like is, is the manpower there it's like you don't even know at that point kind of <laughs> yeah 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 for sure for sure all right god uh, i think that'll do i think that'll do wow. us for questions i think uh it was a pretty good second just then yeah guys big 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 episode uh, not only for our fantastic guests, but also for the fantastic input of all of you guys for asking questions. I think uh, we're going to end off uh, finally now by, of course, thanking my wonderful co-host, Sol, for being with me today. Great to have been on, as always. Sorry, I caught you while you are drinking there. That was my fault. <laughs> That's and okay. then our, um, <laughs> That's our esteemed guest, Caster Extraordinaire, Crowen, thank you so much for, for meeting with us today, for chatting with us, all things sort of TFT. It was a, a real pleasure, a real treat to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, you know, always, uh, you know, try to, to make time and stuff to appear on, you know, uh, podcast interviews, things like that. So it was a, definitely a treat to be here. I think we had a lot of good conversation, hopefully uh people enjoyed it or will enjoy it in the future and listen to it so yeah thank you for having me guys um the last thing that we like to do of course is we we let our uh guests sort of tell everybody where they can where they can be found what they've got coming up next so so crown uh, where can people find you if they if they haven't heard of you before yeah sure so uh my main social medias are going to be twitch and twitter just at crown k-h-r-o-e-n uh, I don't have uh, any like really big thing in the near future um, to look forward to. I've been, uh, you know, dabbling into some personal projects. Um, so maybe you'll find me post about those in the, you know, in the recent uh, or in the near future, rather, about those. I've been like doing voice acting stuff and things like that. So, oh, fantastic. Uh, but hopefully, hopefully nice. you know, That's some so more, cool. some more TFT stuff. Yeah, I know it's been, it's been a lot of fun. But yeah, just Twitch and Twitter oh, yeah. at Crowen. And uh, thanks to you guys, you know, shout out to the podcast. It's been uh, a lot of fun, roll down podcast uh, here. So make sure you guys check it out. If, I'm, I'm sure if you're listening to this, you already have, but yeah, spread the word too. Yeah, spread thanks the for word. checking Tell us out. Friend. You already check us out. Thank you so much, mm. guys. Uh, look, for me, Cutler, of course, you can find us. Obviously, if you're listening to this live, you know where to find me. Twitch.tv uh, slash Cutler with a three. TFT, uh, Cutler TFT on Twitter, and of course, Soul is Soul underscore TFT on Twitch and Twitter as well. Guys, uh, episode 20 of the Roll Down podcast in the books. As always, stay tuned for the post show where we reveal next week's guest and we discuss who's coming on the podcast. Uh, the next four episodes is what we'll do. We've got four guests coming up who we're really excited about. So stick around and, and you'll hear about some of that as well. But until then, for me, Cutler, for Soul and for, for Crowen, thank you so much for listening, guys. And we will see you next time. Bye, guys. Till next time. Take care.
Peace. Thank you. Thank you, Crown. Appreciate I... it.